Welcome to Awake to Oneness Radio. I am Caroline Chang, your host. The mission of Awake to Oneness Radio is to inspire the world to awaken to the universal truth of oneness. Science is now teaching us that everything is energy and that energy is interconnected and interdependent. In essence, that energy is one thing. Now, ancient wisdom and um, spirituality has been teaching the truth of oneness for eons, but now science, quantum physics has caught up to that truth. And actually this science is over a hundred years old. The science of quantum physics has been around since um, the mid 1900s. And by now we should know that we're all one and we're all connected. So what you do to another person you are literally doing to another aspect of yourself. And when mankind awakens to the universal truth of oneness, there will be peace on earth. Today's show topic is Pandemic, Truth or Fiction with Del Bigtree. Del is an Emmy Award winning producer and the producer and host of The High Wire. Welcome. Thank you very much, Caroline, for having me. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I know how busy you are, and I so thank you for your time. So, Del, please, I just discovered you in the past few weeks, and you're my only. Wow, okay. Yeah, you're my only news. My my listeners know I don't watch news. I have not watched mainstream news in over 19 years. And you are where I get my news from. So I just discovered you about two months ago. I don't miss a show. And could you please, I know a little bit about your background, but could you please share with the listeners? Sure. So I uh, started out, as you had pointed out, as a uh, producer on the CBS talk show, The Doctors. Actually, I started before that as a producer on The Dr. Phil Show where I worked for about five years um, when Dr. Phil decided to create a medical talk show with his son, uh, Jay McGraw. Uh, I was one of the producers working on Dr. Phil that was actually asked to, they brought in a new executive producer that was going to create this new form of talk around medicine. And so I ran around with an executive producer. I think I was one of the first people to ever shoot a surgery Uh, to make it television. And so we started trying to develop this idea of the doctors. Of course, that ended up launching and becoming a huge success as the first medical talk show of its kind. Uh, And I really enjoyed that experience. I was there for about six years. Um, But then my life took a real course change when I was tipped off to the story of a whistleblower inside the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC. Mm-hmm. named Dr. William Thompson, a scientist I'd worked with on a show a year earlier, reached out to me. And we had had discussions while we were working on a totally different topic. But the year earlier, he had said to me, you know, you may not want to have me on your television show uh, for this issue. I said, why? And he said, well, if you look me up online, some people consider me a quack. And I said, oh, why is that? He says, because I actually believe uh, that vaccines cause autism. And I've done a lot of research on that. I said, oh, well, that has nothing to do with the topic we're talking about right now, uh, and I'm not concerned about that. And I said, but you know, and he said, would you ever cover a story on vaccines and autism? I said, well, on The Doctors, there was a famous show with Dr. Travis Stork and Jenny McCarthy that got very intense 
And since then, we've sort of shy away from that discussion. But I said to him, look, if there's ever a major, since you're looking at it and I'm not, if there's ever a really big change in that story, something big happens or some new piece of evidence, I would love to know about it. Well, a year later, he said, remember when you said that? I said, yes. He said, well, there's going to be a whistleblower at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention that's going to come forward and say they have committed scientific fraud on the vaccine autism studies, and especially the MMR, the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine study, looking at autism that took place between 2000 and 2004. I said, well, that's true. That will be the biggest story probably in my lifetime. Uh, the fact that a government agency, probably the most powerful health agency in the world, committed fraud around one of the most contentious issues, do vaccines cause autism? I went and pitched it to uh, my executive producers. They said, Dell, are you crazy? We are not going to do a story uh, that threatens the CDC, who are good friends of our show, and allow us inside the CDC every time there's an outbreak or something with our cameras. We're also not going to piss off the pharmaceutical industry, which a lot of our advertising comes from. And I said, okay. Um, and then um, two weeks later, sure enough, just as this scientist had described, we started seeing recorded statements by Dr. William Thompson saying things like, we hid statistically important information from the public. Um, every time I see a child with autism now, I feel guilty. I can't believe we did what we did. And I was very frustrated because it was happening and it was a story I couldn't tell. And then as life would have it, right, um, I got a call at my desk one day and, you know, I, I accepted that I can't tell this whistleblower story. I hoped someone would, but nobody in media covered it, right? Didn't matter. These incredible statement, statements were coming out online. You know, CNN didn't cover it. MSNBC didn't cover it. Fox didn't cover it. New York Times didn't cover it. And I thought there's a, you know, I recognize that my show is produced by the pharmaceutical industry, but it appears all of television must be because this is a gigantic story and no one's telling it. Well, then, I don't know, maybe a, a few weeks later, I got a call from the stage at Paramount Studios where I worked, and it was my executive producers. I had a show that was just about to air. We pre-taped the show. It was just about to air, and I was missing a segment, you know, uh, one out of this, like, seven commercial breaks. Uh, one of those segments between commercial breaks, um, I had a guest that had dropped out. And so I got a call and they said, Dell, come over the stage. We're about to tape um, a piece that we're going to put, a segment we're going to put in your show. So I went over to the stage and I was sitting backstage. And this, the, the episode was a man named Senator Richard Pan in California that was coming on to show, the show to promote his new law, SB 277, that was going to essentially force vaccinate any child that wanted to go to public or private school in California. Mm -hmm. And as he was describing this law, I just thought that's the end of freedom of, as we know it. If a parent can't control what's injected in their own children and are being coerced into or essentially forced if they want the education their tax money is going to, they're forced to vaccinate, then you are looking at the end of, the, you know, of freedom as I knew it. And so um, at the end of that segment, I went to the office and I said, look, I was thinking to myself, there's no way I'm putting that story in my show. There's no way Del Bigtree's name is going to roll in credits in what looks to me at the end of medical freedom. I don't believe in that. So I went to the show and, and the producers and said, I'll, 
That was about a 10-minute piece. I only have a two-minute segment. You should probably put that somewhere else. Let me find something else to put in my show. They agreed. But it really started chewing at me. And I know, you know, as you were talking about your opening, about oneness and the spiritual journey, it really has been always a driving part of my life, is my spiritual life. Uh, I grew up, my father was a minister um, who also taught meditation. I was been meditating since I was a child. My brother and sister, my younger brother and sister, I was the oldest, are now ministers. But my father always said, You're, you know, obviously you want to work in television. Don't degrade humanity. Don't put us down. Celebrate how beautiful we are. Uh, that's the only thing I ask of you. If you're going to be in film and television, it's so often uh, insults the human being and assaults the human being. Make sure you celebrate it. So that was always important to me. And I definitely wanted to make sure that I was always helping evolve consciousness and thinking. And so because of those reasons, I was really starting to have a, a, a deep problem with two elements of the show I was working on. Number one, I wasn't able to work on this whistleblower story, which I thought was really important. And no one was covering it. And I thought, I should be working on that. This is what I do. I understand how to talk about medicine. I'm open enough to be able to read, you know, the science around this whistleblower and someone has got to get that story out there. But even more so, this guy that was going to forcibly inject children with vaccines in California, I sat down and prayed. I just one day it was getting so frustrating and I said, you know, essentially I'm so grateful for the life that I have. You know, I have a home, I have a, a beautiful wife and children. We're all dependent on this great job. But the truth is, I feel very deeply that I am supposed to be involved in the story about this whistleblower. I feel very deeply that I should be using my talents as a medical journalist and reporter to refute the claims being made by this senator who's going to push a law that is going to get children injured, but more importantly, take away medical freedom. And I'm on the one job that I can't do either of those things. Right. And so I said, please just give me guidance. I need guidance in what I'm supposed to do next. And 30 seconds later, my phone rang and it was a publicist that I had met who said, uh, Dell, do you know who Dr. Andy Wakefield is? I said, yes, of course, that's the doctor in the UK that first really started bringing questions to the MMR vaccine and autism. Mm -hmm. She said, yes. She said, would you like to meet him? I said, absolutely, I would like to meet him. And she said, well, I have to have your commitment because, you know, this is a very small group of people. He's coming to California. I said, Dawn, let me stop you right there. If you knew when you were calling me right now, then you would know I would skip a, a family wedding to be at whatever this meeting is, I'm supposed to be there. Right. And so I went to, two days later, I was in the backyard in Hollywood. I immediately went up to uh, Dr. Andy Wakefield's wife and said, I need to talk to Andy. Um, and so Andy came over and I was just asking questions about vaccines. I didn't know why he was in town. I knew, you know, we talked a little bit about this law, SB 277, he was clearly against it. Um, um, but after 40 minutes of really stealing all this time, I think people were getting annoyed because we were really engaged in this conversation. And, and I immediately, within a few minutes, recognized that, I mean, this guy has been attacked by every news agency in the world. 
He has been demonized. And two minutes in his presence, you realize this is one of the most brilliant scientists the world has ever known, empathetic with a true message that has been thwarted by mainstream media. Anyway, he, uh, somebody came up and said, you know, uh, Andy, you got to do your pitch. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, what's that about? He's like, oh, I have to do this thing. Let me, you know, I'll be right back. So he went and stepped on a box, you know, in the, his backyard in Hollywood. And he said, you know, you've got to stop SB 277. You have to stop this law. This is the end of medical freedom as we know it. I was like, I totally agree with that. Right. And he said, and what I'm doing to try and stop this and make a difference is I've been working on a documentary for the last year about a whistleblower at the CDC named Dr. William Thompson. And I can't tell you what that moment was like, but it's like the scene in the movie where all the clouds part, time stops, and the sun ray directly hits you. And I recognized that something big was going on. Two days ago, I said this prayer, and inside of whatever this gentleman is talking about is all of the ways forward, both to the law, SB 277, and this whistleblower story, and the documentary. I could go on and on with the miracles that brought us together, but in the end, that turned into back uh, from cover-up catastrophe, arguably probably the most famous documentary about vaccines and this whistleblower, uh, an amazing ride. We got kicked out of Tribeca Film Festival, which I think was God's way of giving us the most incredible advertising you could ever dream of, and Vax became a worldwide phenomenon, which then really put me into this journey and just to sort of sum it all up as we were traveling the country we we bought a bus that had vax written on the side of it and thousands of people signed the signatures of their children they had either lost or had been injured after vaccination essentially a traveling traveling memorial but people kept you know we were interviewing every parent that wanted to tell their story that was inspired by the film and I started recognizing that though our film was only about the MMR vaccine, there were more people saying, you know, we never made it to the MMR vaccine. We lost our child right after the DTaP vaccine. They mm. regressed into autism then. Before we even got to the MMR, we had already stopped vaccinating. Or people saying, we lost our daughter. She died right after getting the flu vaccine. And I started recognizing that. It wasn't just the MMR vaccine, it was many others. And that was the question that kept coming to me is, Dell, your film is about the MMR vaccine. What about the other 15 vaccines we're giving our children in 54 shots by the time they're 18? Uh, and I didn't have an answer to that. And so I started a nonprofit called the Informed Consent Action Network, or ICANN. Mm-hmm. Um, our website is icandecide.org. And we started investigating really one word. When we talk about vaccines, we hear that vaccines are safe and effective. We looked at the first word, safe. How are they determining that vaccines are safe? Why am I interviewing thousands of parents that talk about autism right after a vaccine or death right after a vaccine or autoimmune conditions, neurological disorders right after vaccines? If they were safe, why are there so many people telling these stories And that has been the investigation I've been involved with for the last four years. Mm -hmm. We have worked with the FDA, the CDC, Health and Human Services. I have had to sue government agencies to get information that they were refusing to give us. So we have won lawsuits against Health and Human Services, 
the National Institute of Health, the FDA and the CDC, all in an exploration to understand how safe vaccines are. And, um, and so that's what brings me here to the middle of this COVID-19 uh, pandemic. Um, I have been doing, you know, we have a legal team with our nonprofit, we have a research team, and then we have an educational program every Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific time that you alluded to called The High Wire with Del Bigtree. You can see it at thehighwire.com or you can go on Facebook or YouTube and just type in The High Wire with Del Bigtree. And we broadcast every Thursday, 11 a.m. Pacific time. And the pandemic has been very interesting for us because it's allowed us to break away from our discussions and research and science around vaccines and really talk about medicine and science in general, something yes. I'm very comfortable with having been a producer on the talk uh, on the doctors. I also have as my executive producer, a producer I stole from the doctors. I brought her <laughs> over to produce the work that we're doing here. Awesome. And we both reached out and have one of our field producers that work for the doctors. So we're bringing the model of the CBS medicine and how we tell, you know, how we tell the stories but we are doing it without pharmaceutical sponsors. We are only sponsored by the people, which yes. means we are not limited in any of our research. We can talk about whatever we want. And because of that, I think we've had the most success of any news program in the world predicting many of the outcomes you're now seeing with the COVID-19 pandemic. Beginning with now four months ago, we said that the death rate is not gonna be anywhere near what the models have promised. We essentially, predicted the fall of the imperial model out of the UK, the imperial college, in which is what the world followed. We are still uh, supporting um, and looking at the science around hydroxychloroquine, which has become mm -hmm. a really um, contentious discussion, which makes no sense why there's been such a fight against a treatment that in over 200 studies now around the world has shown to be incredibly successful. So all of those things, I think people are tuning more and more into the high wire and leaving CNN and MSNBC because they're saying, I actually hear real questions. We are bringing in top scientists from around the world to talk to us about these issues. And so uh, it's been an incredible journey for me. So from there, you can ask any question you want. <laughs> well, you're doing an amazing job. Like I said, I, I I know that I said that the majority of my audience is a spiritual audience, but my awakening was from science. It's quantum physics. Everything that resonates with me as true is based in science. So my background is more science. Not I'm not a scientist. I'm a lay, I know quantum physics from a layperson's, and that's what what inspired me to launch my show. I launched my show, um, my son is in spirit, and I launched my show six months after his transition. I say transition, I don't believe in death, there is no such thing as death. Right. Um, and he's the co-producer, he's the co-host of the show. <laughs> so yeah, he's told me that from spirit. But um, mm -hmm. now every, like you said, it's the science. It's, it's yes. I, I knew, I knew in, intuition my intuition told me in february this was no worse than the flu now that was my intuition so i couldn't yeah. you know but 
now watching your show, I get all these facts and I even, I follow up on the facts that I get from your show because I don't watch news and I don't watch news because that was a direct order from my higher self. And after 9-11, my higher self said, turn off that news and don't ever turn it back on. And honestly, I didn't know why at that time. I, I was like, I was just obedient to my inner knowing said, turn it off. And I didn't find out too many years later why. And that because the news is not telling us the truth and trying to put us in the state of fear, trying to lower our vibration. And I know everything is vibration. That's science. But um, yeah, I just, I love what you're doing. I actually, a couple of weeks ago, I started a petition called We the People Petition to ask President Trump to share the facts about COVID-19 in a press conference. Because so yeah. many people are confused because of the misinformation and the untrue information from mainstream media. And they're not gonna get the truth because of what you just said, because Big Pharma um, produces them. You know, they're, they're in yeah. big, big Pharma's pocket. So they're not getting the truth. If I say to them the truth, they like, well, I'm confused. I don't know what to, what to believe. So right. I'm thinking, well, why don't I know if I know the truth, you know the truth. President Trump must know the truth. Uh, what do you think about that idea? What do you think? Do you think if we got well, 100,000 people to sign a petition to ask President Trump to give a press conference and tell us the facts, do you think he would do it? Um, he might, but I think that he's attempted to give many of the facts in, in the briefings that he's been giving us all through uh, the pandemic. I mean, you, you have got to listen for truth, right? You have to work to be able to hear truth. And, and what you're talking about with the news, the problem is, is it's not that they won't, you'll get a little fleeting moment where you'll go, wait a minute, that, that was interesting, but that's not what repeated. They repeat sort of the slogans and the agenda and we're all being brainwashed by the news nobody's impervious to the brainwashing i know we think even those that of us that meditate and are you know have a spiritual life but if you're sitting at night and watching you know one two three hours of news i'm telling you you are not capable of dealing with the brainwashing the repetitive mantra that is being poured into your psyche and and that is proven to me by people that I know in yes. you know in you know liberal spiritual communities that are walking around with masks right now. If you're wearing a mask, then I can tell you right now, you are officially the victim of brainwashing because the truth has been told to you. You should understand the truth. And if you're sitting right now saying Dell's crazy, then then they've gotten to you and you really may want to follow what Caroline's done and, and go ahead and turn off your news and your television set. But let's get down to it. Let's, let's right. talk about truth because it's elusive. Yes. Um, and facts and truth are really in many ways subjective. Yes. Um, and that's the problem, right? That's the problem with science. And I've been deeply involved with the investigation of science for, you know, a good I guess, 13 or 14 years now, if you go back through all of my television background, the work I've done for the last four years. And there's things that we still don't know about COVID-19. Number one, let me be perfectly clear. I don't think that anyone has proven that this is a man-made disease, nor do I think they've sufficiently proven that it's a natural 
um, uh, of natural origin. I think that we are still, I personally, because I don't just take, I don't care what scientist says it, I want corroborating evidence. I want to see the studies. I want to see your proof. And I think that the argument right now is still unsettled. Mm-hmm. And I deal with fact checkers that fact check. In fact, I was just answering a whole query by a fact checking group that said, you've promoted the debunked uh, theory that this is a man-made vaccine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, that this is a man-made illness. And, right. and I responded, no, I've never promoted that. You won't find me ever promoting that idea. I have had scientists like Dr. James Lyons Weiler, who came onto my show and showed that when he was, you know, really looking at the DNA pattern of COVID-19, he saw a spike protein with a man-made element that looked like it had been inserted to manipulate it. Mm. But in my show, I said, this is a theory. This is Dr. James Lyons Weiler's theory. I would personally need to see other scientists corroborate that evidence. But on my show, I am perfectly, in fact, that's the fun we have, right? We bring in scientists from different areas that have different opposing theories as we try to inform ourselves and try and think, can we figure out? Really what the high wire is, is it's an organic experience, much like you described your show. I don't pre-interview my guests most of the time. I have a sense of something I read about them or what they want to talk about. But I ask the questions normal people would ask. I ask the questions that you never hear reporters asking that is usually done before they come onto the television and they throw away all the things you don't want to hear said so that you can push some agenda the show has. That is not how we do the high wire. It's a live investigation right before your eyes. But to that end, James Lyons Weiler promoted the idea of a man-made illness. I said, that's very interesting. We'll continue to watch and see if you're right. Well, a couple of weeks later, he came back and he had actually changed his mind. He had talked to worldwide scientists that had seen him on the high wire and said, you've got it wrong, James. Let us show you what we're looking at. And then he wanted to come back on the show and say, no, now I actually is of natural origin. But the truth being, even that, I said, that's a theory. And we're really so, my point being, there are a lot of theories and hypotheses, and that's how science works around COVID-19. But there are cold, hard data and facts. that our news media does not seem to want to talk about. And where we started four months ago was really looking at the death rate. You can manipulate. We don't know what the infection rate is, right? We still don't. There's still a lot of speculation over how many people are asymptomatic, how many people can't catch the disease. A new term is coming out right now and something we're going to discuss on our show this week, which is non-susceptible. How many people are non-susceptible and why would they be non-susceptible? Why is it they can't catch COVID-19 at all? We have one of the top, literally called the number one scientist in his field is on my show this week to Mm -hmm. discuss this idea of non-susceptible. But here's what we do know. Mm -hmm. We know that the death rate now is coming into more focus. We know how many people died in China. And if you question China, we definitely know how many people died in Italy and how many people died in the UK and Germany and Sweden. And because of all that data that's now pouring in, the CDC has made a pretty credible estimate that the death rate of COVID-19 is 0.4% amongst symptomatic people. Mm -hmm. And if you add in the asymptomatic, which the CDC is using a very conservative number, we've heard that asymptomatic, meaning people that don't have symptoms but can be contagious, 
could be 50 to 80% of people. But let's go with their conservative number of 35%. If you add that in, that gives us a death rate of 0.26%. Yes. The old, so overall, your chance of dying from COVID-19 is 0.26% if you catch it. Mm-hmm. And that's a big if. Right. How many people will never come in contact with it or may already be immune that don't know it? But why that's important, and this is something we discovered three weeks ago that came out from the CDC, is that is so shockingly below what we were told the death rate would be. All of the estimates that made us lock down, made us start wearing masks, made us change and destroy our economies, were based on the potential that this would have a death rate of 3.5% or higher. It could be as high as 6 or 7%. That was going to lead to... 2.2 million people dying in America, a half a million people dying in the UK, and so forth. Well, now that we know that this death rate is as low as it is, which is why we're seeing, you know, the deaths in America being around 100,000, maybe 120,000 when it's all said and done, that puts the COVID-19 in line with really what we would call a bad flu season. Yes. And now we've got to ask ourselves, based on that knowledge and that fact, are we going, are we going to continue to destroy our economy in the U.S.? And I, talk, I live in the U.S., but every nation has to ask this question. Right. Are we going to destroy jobs? Are we going to destroy the ability for people to put food on the table? Are we going to throw you know, millions of people into poverty? Are we going to lose the ability to be able to afford the medications that people may need to stay alive? Are we going to thrust millions of people into depression, you know, creating a higher rate of uh, the use of psychotropic drugs and antidepressants? Are we going to, you know, increase our suicide rate, which is what we're watching? While these hospitals are shut down in this fear over a 0.26% death rate, then is it okay all the people dying of heart attacks that can't get in the hospital because they have a heart condition? How about all the people that have cancer or diabetes that are not able to access a hospital right now? All of these things have got to revolve around the simple fact that this is a quarter of 1%, the death rate. Yes. I think that that alone, anybody right now that is trying to understand what is going on, that is the one piece of information you need to really wrap your head around. And now the media will sensationalize or yeah. emotionalize our connection to the 0.26%. Right. So your audience, true, we are one with one another. We are responsible for each other. We are one being in essence, but we are also one being connected to our earth and yes. connected to our viruses and connected to our bacteria, which is something that I really think more people have got to start thinking about. You know, when you want to eradicate the COVID-19 virus, you should think about, does it have a benefit? You should ask yourself, you know, is eradicating 16 viruses or bacteria with the 16 vaccines we have, is that drop in the bucket against billions of viruses and bacteria that are alive on this planet? Millions and perhaps billions of viruses and bacteria in your own stomach right now as we speak crawling on your skin and waging a war that you have survived since the dawn of man. Are you going to mess with this war? Are you going to start choosing sides? 
because the truth is science has no idea which virus is fighting which virus. All we know is that we have been winning since the dawn of man. And this right now, I will call you what we're witnessing around the world is what I am going to start describing this week as a war on herd immunity or a yes. war on natural immunity or very simply put, you are watching a war against nature. Exactly. This is the first time in the history of the world that we are separating ourselves from nature and saying we can hide from viruses. We can hide from bacteria. This has never been attempted since the dawn of man. And I would say that this is failing because yes. it is destroying the world as we know it. And really, with a 0.26% death rate, that simply means for 99.74% of the world, right. COVID-19 is a common cold. Let me repeat that. For 99.74% of the world, COVID-19 is a common cold. It's not even as bad as the flu. Children have no symptoms at all. There is a question whether they can even contract COVID-19. Most people are getting no fever, no sensation whatsoever. In fact, more than 95% have been described as having little or no symptoms at all. So let me repeat, 99.74% of us experience COVID-19 as what coronavirus has always been. The coronavirus is a common cold. This is a common cold. Now, we can talk about the 0.26% of people who are extremely unhealthy, that for whatever reasons, most of them having lived unhealthy lives, they didn't eat, didn't have good diets, many of them smoked cigarettes and drank alcohol, and now find themselves being kept alive by pharmaceutical products. They are pharmaceutical dependent. That is what that 0.26% really is. Mm -hmm. And for them, a common cold has always been deadly. If you are dying of cancer, you don't want a common cold. If you are dying of, of heart disease, you don't want a common cold. If you have severe diabetes, and remember, there are even people that suffer from these things that are in their middle ages that still don't have a risk. We're talking about over the age of 65 with right. these life-threatening conditions that make you pharmaceutical dependent. And so for that tiny group of people, this common cold is deadly. And so if we really were going to deal with, as you said, that truth right. and that fact and that understanding, then we really know the way forward. Right. The way forward is simple. Let us figure out a way to bubble wrap to absolutely, you know, for the you know, let's lock down right. the over 65 that have these life-threatening illnesses. Let's spend, I mean, we spent eight and a half billion dollars of taxpayer money looking for a vaccine that 99.74% of us don't need. Right. So could we at least maybe take a couple hundred million of that and retrofit every nursing home in America? And I would recommend other nations do this retrofit our nursing homes and our, our retirement communities so that they are not in contact with the outside world, so that they don't have visitors for the short period of time 
that this would take place. That every doctor and nurse that either lives in that community or works in that nursing home, that they get extra pay for staying inside of that facility for the right. time that is necessary so that the going in and out does not bring that virus into the one group that really right. are susceptible and dangerously susceptible. If we did that, that would allow the rest of us, the 99.74% of us, to throw off our masks, come out of our basements, and go back to work with the potential risk of catching a cold, <laughs> having sniffles, maybe at the very worst. That, to me, would be the smartest approach towards this, so that, and by the way, this is a very infectious cold. It's going to sweep through America very quickly, and the world as it already has with masks, with lockdowns, with all of these things in place. We are still seeing it sweep the world. But let us all go out into the sunshine, catch this cold, which means 14 days later, when you have cleared it from your body, and most of you won't even know you had it, it is so incredibly mild, you will now be pillars. There will be a, a great wall of America built against COVID-19 that will protect that tiny group of very, you know, of pharmaceutically or, you know, pharmaceutical dependent people. We right. can protect them, but the only way is to get out and catch this cold. That's the fact. Yes. Now you can sit there and dream and wish upon a star and throw runes and hope that a vaccine arrives in time, but I don't live my life based on wishful thinking. Right. I, based my life on science, as you pointed out, and fact. Yes. And the fact is, we are destroying our economy over a common cold. And 99.74% of us have no risk at all. Let us go out and catch this cold so that we can get our planet back up and running. And in truth, I think before I ever heard the word COVID-19, and I, I, I'm completely holistic, I don't do Western medicine. I very rarely get sick. But end of January, last 10 days of January, from January 20th to January 30th, I had a dry cough. And in the middle of it, so it was 10 days of a dry cough. I thought I caught something, maybe the flu or something, but all it was was a dry cough. In the middle of it, like say day five or day six, that night I felt feverish. But by the morning, the fever is broken. So I'm saying that was probably COVID-19. I'm talking, this is the last week of January. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know what it was, yep. but it went in. It didn't slow me down one bit. All it was was a dry cough. I kept doing, living my daily life. I have never put on a mask, never. Now I live in the state of Pennsylvania and to go shopping, you're supposed to go into the store, you had to wear a mask. But I spoke to, I called up, the manager of a store and he said well if you have health issues you don't have to wear a mask so i made a little badge that says for health reason and it's not a lie because i want to yeah. stay healthy it's not yes. a lie for health reasons i can't wear a mask and and my yeah. health reason and they can't ask me what my health reason is and my health right. reason is i want to stay healthy you know, i want to keep my immune system working right <laughs> Yes. Yes. So yeah, no, that's a, that's a great way to approach it, and and that is true. I mean, why would you wear a mask? Our bodies depend on our interaction with bacteria and viruses. I'm really worried about 
the our you know our society that is now masking and antibacterial soaping their hands over and over and over again you are killing the biome that is so critical to your health you know putting you now at risk this is what hospitals do right hospitals use antibiotic i mean antibacterial soaps all over the hospital and that's where you catch cre which is what antibiotic resistant you know bacteria and MRSA and these things those things are all crawling on your body but they're losing the battle against the viruses and bacteria that you just wiped out with your antibacterial soap right. and that mask you're wearing is lowering your blood oxygen level which is making you vulnerable to illness it yeah. is also making you breathe back in the viruses and bacteria that your body is naturally trying to project out you are sucking them back in because they can't escape. So multiple reasons why a mask really isn't a good idea. Um, but, you know, this is where we're at. We're, we're in a world. Now, remember, why, why is this happening and who am I listening to? Right. Well, you have to understand a couple of other known facts. Number one, the World Health Organization has been saying that vaccine hesitancy is the greatest threat uh, to global health. Now, Donald Trump just cut funding to the WHO because of how poorly they handled this. I couldn't be happier about that decision. That now leaves Bill Gates as the number one funding body of the World Health Organization. And really, I think you could argue it's his, been his puppet association right. from the very beginning. So as, the, as Bill Gates goes, so does the WHO. Now, remember that their agenda... And by the way, by agenda, I mean they had a meeting, and this is a show I did in early January. Mm -hmm. They had a meeting last December, three-day summit in Geneva, Switzerland. All of the scientists from around the world involved with the WHO got together to discuss what? How to stop vaccine hesitancy. How are we going to force vaccinate? Now, not just children, but every adult on the planet. Exactly. That is the agenda of the medical establishment. Because remember, you know, when we look at COVID-19, 0.26% of those that are vulnerable could all be described as pharmaceutically dependent. They right. are dependent about the pharmaceutical industry to stay alive. Well, what is the cure or the fix we're being told? It's a vaccine somewhere in the future. Tony Fauci will say our lives won't get back to normal. All of these different world leaders are saying our lives can't get back to normal till what? Till we become pharmaceutically dependent. That's what a vaccination is going to do. Right. It's going to put you on a treadmill of inferior immunity. I can bet, by the way, all these things, I know people are going, whoa, wow, what's he saying? <laughs> How can he say that? These are all proven. There's no one can challenge anything I'm saying. Yes. When if you want true immunity, the only way to get perfect lifelong immunity is you have got to contract the illness yourself. That's yeah. just a simple fact of the matter. If you want to be immune for life from measles, the only way to do that is you must contract the measles. If you want to be immune from, for life from COVID-19, the only way you will ever be able to do that is by contracting COVID-19. Sure, the pharmaceutical industry has made vaccines and not one of them has ever achieved creating lifelong herd immunity. I call it, Getting the illness is the Ferrari of immunity, and the pharmaceutical industry is trying to sell you on the Pinto of immunity. 
an immunity where you have to keep going to the shop because the car keeps breaking down. In this case, you have to repetitively get the vaccines over and over and over again. With the DTaP vaccine in our children, it's over five injections of DTaP vaccine in their 18 years of life. When we look at the MMR vaccine, it's two MMR vaccines as children. I've been at CDC meetings that are talking about, and I really believe within the next year, you'll see a third MMR vaccine added in college because the vaccine is failing the students there. And then there's two more MMR vaccines on the adult schedule. Uh, if you go to the CDC website, which means approximately five in the near future MMR vaccines. You see, anyone that had the measles will never have to worry about it again. People right. that get the vaccine have to worry about it time and time again. And by the way, you'll never know if you're actually immune. You don't know if it's wearing off. And the other inconvenient truth is the more often you get vaccinated, the less and less and less the power of your immunity created. In fact, I was at a CDC meeting where they're saying essentially, and this is a known fact, that for the elderly that have had four or five flu vaccines, the vaccine now creates no immunity uh, whatsoever. So you are simply going through uh, an action to be vaccinated that is going to be no good to you. And all you're doing is taking on the risks that vaccinations bring, either paralysis with Guillain-Barre syndrome or, you know, servo, which is a shoulder condition just for them injecting it the wrong way that, you know, makes your arm unable to use the rest of your life and a host of other issues. So these are all things that you can start to investigate if you go to my website, icandecide.org. I would start with our white papers on okay. vaccine safety. And when you click on those papers, at the bottom of every page, you will see links, hyperlinks that you simply tap on that take you to the peer-reviewed science. Let me say that again. Yes. Peer-reviewed published science is the only thing I'm discussing right now in all that I've said. I would only trust science that has been put out and reviewed by multiple scientists, and that is the case. Yes. And I, I, like I said, I'm totally holistic. I agree with you a thousand percent. Um, we, we are one with nature that not just each right. other, we're one with nature. And like you said, it's that nature is the best healing for me. So I, I don't have children. My children are grown. My son is in spirit, but if I had children, there is no way. I would let them get vaccine. That that is just me now. I mean, when I would my children were young in the eighties, early eighties, I went through what but it wasn't like it is today. So No. Yeah. No. Not not at no, all. And so and so to be really clear for people that may not have, you know, really been a part of the information we've been putting out over the last several years, here are the things you really need to be concerned about with vaccines. Um, number one, as you said, in the 1980s, we did not see the chronic illness in our children, right? We're told that vaccines make our children healthier, but if you look at the time period that vaccines have increased, we only see our children getting sicker. That's just a known fact. Yes. So in the 1980s, our children got 11 vaccines in total by the time they were 18 years old. At that time in America, the chronic illness rate was 12.8% of our children had a chronic illness. And to understand chronic illness, it really has two columns, either a neurological, which is a brain disorder, or an autoimmune disorder. Their immune system attacks their own body in one way or another, and it's something they will deal with 
their entire lives. 12.8% of our children had those issues. Well, mm-hmm. now we give 54 vaccines, from 11 vaccines to 54 vaccines by the time you're 18. In that same exact time period, we've gone from 12.8% chronic illness to now, even by the CDC's own stats, 54% of America's children have chronic illness. More than half, more than one in two, either has a neurological disorder or an autoimmune disease. That is the greatest decline in human health ever recorded in history. Yes. Repeat that. The greatest decline in health in history. And so we've got to look at that increase in vaccinations. Additionally, in the United States of America, which is one of the most vaccinated countries in the world now, we have more babies die on the first day of life than every other industrialized nation combined. Mm. We have more babies die in the first year of life than the other 20 richest nations in the world. And it is now being stated that you are 70% more likely to die before reaching the age of 18 than if you lived in the 20 other richest nations in the world. We also have more women die during pregnancy than the 20 other richest nations in the world. Those are some of the worst health stats I could ever have to state, and that's why I'm here. When people say, you know, Dell, why are you even involved in this very contentious issue? I would say if we were the healthiest nation in the world and vaccinations worked, and we obviously get more than anybody else, then what argument would I have? We have the sickest children we've ever seen and the worst health stats the world has ever seen, at least when it comes to countries that have clean running water and toilet systems. Right. And you had said that um, Dr. Anthony Fauci said that they will never do a study of non-vaccinated children compared to vaccinated children. Like you said, more and more moms are waking up and parents are waking up and not vaccinated. I think it's 30% now, something of like Yes. Yes. Yeah. So we're, we, we now know that 30% of parents are delaying or skipping vaccines, meaning going against the CDC schedule in America. Right. And Anthony Fauci said, no, we won't do that study. Or they have done the study and they don't want to share the results. Well, well let me be clear when we say, Anthony Fauci, why I can say that. Mm-hmm. Um, I can say that because you know, I was like, well, I didn't see that on television. Uh, I had an incredible opportunity early in 2017. I was asked by Bobby Kennedy, who was asked by Donald Trump to put together a basically a consortium to discuss the safety of vaccines. And Donald Trump set up a meeting at the National Institute of Health with the head of the NIH, Francis Collins. Uh, I sat, Francis Collins was across the table, Tony Fauci was right across from me, Joshua Gordon, who is the head of the investigation of autism, and about Mm -hmm. eight other of the luminaries of our health departments. Uh, On our side was Robert Kennedy Jr., along with several other lawyers, scientists, and doctors on our side, and we presented all of the problems we have with the vaccine program. From that meeting, we discovered several things that are now facts and were, you know, queries at that moment. Not a single childhood vaccine we give our children, those 16 vaccines in 54 doses, not one of them ever went through a double-blind placebo study in the trial period to approve it for safety. 
meaning it never got compared to a saline placebo, which is the gold standard that every drug has to go through to establish safety. Vaccines skip that process. Therefore, you cannot actually scientifically say vaccines are safe. That's just the truth. You can say, now what they'll do is they'll compare it to another vaccine. They'll give one group of kids the the new vaccine and another one a different vaccine. You can say this vaccine is safe as this other vaccine, but remember that vaccine was never compared to a saline placebo. So you cannot say the vaccine is as safe as not getting anything at all, which is the only way to actually use the word safe. Yes. Okay. Number two, and the reason they said they don't do placebo studies is because they say it would be unethical to do a study that denied children this life-saving product called vaccine, right? Mm-hmm. Now, that's in the face even of a brand new vaccine. We don't know if it's life-saving. The HPV vaccine, Gardasil, we didn't know if it was life-saving or life-ending. You need a safety trial in order to figure that out, but they didn't do it. They didn't compare it to a group that got a saline injection to see if that increased rate, which they did see of severe autoimmune reactions at 2.6%. Within six months, the girls had a severe autoimmune reaction. We don't know if that was caused by the vaccine because we didn't have a saline group to compare it to. So here's what we said. Okay, if it's unethical to do the study that every other drug goes through for vaccines, which We could debate that, but let's not. Let's just say you're right. Then will you do an ethical study, which would be to study people that either already got vaccinated or didn't get vaccinated? And this is where I really want people in the audience to really be with me. Just use your logical mind now. Mm -hmm. If vaccines truly make children healthier and truly make for a healthier society, there's a really easy study that could be done. It's called a vaccinated versus unvaccinated comparative study. And it would be ethical because the CDC sits on a database and we said to them at this meeting, you were sitting on a database called the VSD, the Vaccine Safety Data Link. It has the health records, the entire life health records of over 10 million American citizens. Their names have been stripped away so that this is just data that all of our top scientists can use to come to, like to ask certain questions. And so we said to Tony Fauci, why don't you just take this database of 10 million people, which has already been investigated and proved to have tens of thousands of unvaccinated individuals into it. I mean, people that never got a vaccine. And then divide those two groups up. Take the fully vaccinated individuals and the completely unvaccinated individuals, and then ask the computer, remember, we're the home of Microsoft. We're the home of Apple. We have computer learning. We live in the modern age. This is something we do now. It's called computer learning. Just ask simple questions of the computer database. Who has more cancer? Who has more childhood leukemia? Who has more autism? Who has more ADD, ADHD? Who has more multiple sclerosis? Who has more type 1 diabetes and type 2 diabetes? Who has more asthma? Who has more peanut allergies? You get the idea. All of the things that we're watching in this incredible increase in our children, things that no one in our family history ever suffered from, we're watching our own children with eczema or plaque psoriasis all over their bodies, an inability to digest food because they have Crohn's disease. 
I could go on and on. Yeah. Ask all of those questions, and then let's let the computer show us what it found. Yeah. Who actually has higher rates of cancer? Is it the vaccinated or the unvaccinated? Who has more autism? You get the idea. And you yes. know what they said to us when we said, just do this simple study, and we could end this debate, this what's really turning to a civil war across the world between brothers and sisters and parents of whether to vaccinate or not vaccinate, simply show us a study that compared the two and said, look, the vaccinated are clearly healthier than the unvaccinated. Right. You know what they said to us? We will never do that study. Yes. That was what they said. Mm -hmm. We will never do that study because that's outrageous. You know, every drug, when you start seeing that, you know, uh, well, we find out that, for instance, a drug like Vioxx is causing, you know, heart attacks. That's the database. They go, well, how about the people that, that had heart disease that, you know, or, or used Vioxx or didn't use Vioxx? Let's compare them. Oh, my God, Vioxx really is killing more people. That's right. how you use that database. Yes. And they refuse to do that looking at vaccinations. And so I would say this, and this is a theory. What I just told you is a fact. Right. Tony Fauci said we will not do that study. We will not do the most obvious study known to man that could end this debate forever. That would shut Del Baytree up and Robert Kennedy Jr. or anybody else right. that's out there questioning the safety of vaccines. You could end me right now in this discussion with that study. They won't do it. Right. That says to me, and here comes my theory, they already did do it. Right. Because this is a study they do on every other product we take. It's called post-marketing surveillance. We okay. look at the post-marketing after it's already out in the community. There's only so much we can discover in a lab or during right. a trial. So they say, let's compare people that use this product to those that don't. Right. So why wouldn't they do it? I believe they already have done it. They know full well that this would end this incredibly contentious debate around the world. Right. You have to know they've done that study. They've right. probably done it 20 times in every way sideways and right. tried to change different questions and answers, tried to manipulate it in some way that it will show the world that the vaccinated are healthier. And you have to know if they were able to achieve it, you would have seen of it. Of course they would show it. Yeah, yeah, of course. But we don't see it. Yeah. What we do see are independent studies, one done by Dr. Anthony Mawson out of Mississippi, who looked at homeschool children compared vaccinated and unvaccinated. Right. And saw exactly what we now know. Four times the rate of autism, hmm. 5.7 times the rate of neurological disorders, 30 times the rate of allergic rhinitis. Mm. Um, and I think it was four or five times the rate of asthma. The list mm -hmm. went on and on and on. The vaccinated were far more sick than the unvaccinated. Yes. Now I, I actually kind of fell into, I'd never heard of autism. I started teaching um, piano lessons to children in 1993 is when I started. I'd never heard of autism. I got my first, had my first autistic student around 04, 05. That's the first I ever heard of it. And then I started actually specializing. So now when I teach, I specialize with young students and autistic students are what I call, mm. you know, special needs. But in, yes. in every year, I get, you know, more and more. And I had never yes. heard of autism in the 90s and, you know, up until 2004. So I... Well, I mean, think about it, right? I mean, and, and now you got to look at the logic of what you're being told by doctors and scientists yeah. that say 
Don't listen to Dell Big Tree. He's crazy. We debunked the vaccine autism connection. Okay, really? So what are they depending on? What, and what do they tell you? They say, you know what's really happening? Yes, it's true. We, we do know that in the 1960s, 70s, and maybe even as late as the 80s, the rate of autism was one out of 10,000 children. Yes. It is now currently one out of 54 children yes. in America. And if you look at New Jersey, that has the most um, dedicated and accurate surveillance system for autism, they're at one in 34. Mm -hmm. And remember, it's more prevalent in boys. So that means we're probably somewhere at one in 20 boys. And it's more prevalent, even more so, in African-American communities. So we could even be beyond that with African-American boys. These are shocking and terrifying statistics. These yeah. are children who will grow up, many of them unable to ever live alone, ever to even be able to have a job at a Starbucks. Sure, there are those high-functioning Asperger's cases that do go on to college, that, and, and good for them. I have nothing against these people, but we have a growing body of these very, very sick and injured children. And back to my point, what are we told by our doctors? Well, autism has actually always been here in constant prevalence, right? We're just diagnosing it better. How many people have heard that? I want you to really not, I mean, this is where you're brainwashed, right? This is where watching too much TV is getting in your way. Just, right. just flush out all the television for a second and wrap your brain around that statement and ask yourself something very simply. If it was always here, right. and it was at about one in 20 boys, then I certainly would have seen it my whole life. Every classroom should have had a boy with autism. Every PE class should have had somebody with repetitive motion disorders, you know, in the corner of the room, unable to communicate, unable yes. to socialize. I don't remember seeing that child. And let me be even more specific. Where are the old folks home filled with autistic people? Mm. They don't exist, okay? So when you say, I never even saw or, or heard of autism really into early 2000s, in fact, most of us, our first entry-level understanding of autism was the movie Rain Man. Mm. And in Rain Man, it was this really incredible, crazy story about this guy that had some special gifts but couldn't live on his own. And Tom Cruise goes and tries to take his brother and, and finds it very, very difficult to deal with the problems that he has. That was our introduction. Now, I would argue every one of us, probably as a family member yeah. with autism and certainly as a friend with autism, where did that come from? Yeah. Why is it growing? And why is Sanjay Gupta not saying, this is an epidemic? Mm -hmm. We have a serious problem. Why is medicine not alarmed that we've gone in one in 10,000 to now one in as low as 34 or one in 20 boys? Right. I'll tell you why. Because if they admit, if they admit to this incredible increase, then they have to admit something is happening to right. these children. These children are having an environmental impact that's causing their autism. And what our media and our mainstream medicine want to tell us is it's genetic. Your child was born with it. They would have had it anyway, just like what? People in Egypt had it at the dawn of man. No one talks about it in the Bible. In fact, think about this. When you think of Freud or mm -hmm. Tourette's or Charcot, 
these are some of the greatest diagnosticians that ever existed. They were fascinated by a special emotional or psychological malady. They They spent their lives going into insane asylums and drawing incredible, writing incredible descriptions that we still use today, whether, you know, whatever the mental condition, you know, that exists, we know it because of their work. Yes. And yet in all of their writings, we see nothing that you would describe as autism. Mm -hmm. It wasn't there. Right. Something is creating it. And when we try to think about what that something could be, I would start with when you think of a court case, what's the best evidence you have? An eyewitness account. Mm-hmm. We have millions of parents now around the world yes. that are giving an eyewitness account of their child receiving a vaccine. Many of them, as you see in VAC, describing an incredibly high fever that evening, maybe right. even seizures, and then showing us home videos where before the vaccine, they were saying 20 words, maybe. I love you. I love you, daddy. I love you, mommy. Running yeah. around dog, cat, plant. Yes. After the vaccination, unable to speak. Many never uttering words again. Mm. If we're going to start somewhere, let's yeah. start with the millions of eyewitness accounts. Yes. And let's push aside the pharmaceutical desire to force vaccinate everyone in the world and the pharmaceutical funded studies that keep telling us that the vaccines don't cause autism, yet they've never had a comparative group that was not vaccinated to prove it, why don't we start looking at the studies that are showing it and the parents that are witness to this incredible tragedy? True, true. And it's it's terrible that they censored you, but like you said, you got, I think you got more people watching it because they censored you. But please share, share with the listeners where they can watch the the film. Yeah, if you haven't seen VAC, uh, it's an incredible movie. And I don't say that because I was a producer or I worked on it. Um, when we saw the final cut of Vax, I remember I almost had tears in my eyes. I was watching the film and I just thought to myself, who made that film? It is not those of us sitting in this edit bay right now. Something powerful is happening there. And I, and I think about how sculptors describe that, you know, I didn't pay, take a piece of stone and make a sculpture. I right. simply removed this stone out of the way that revealed the sculpture that was always there. I think that that's the experience I have with Vax. It's hard to take credit for it, but you will never see a movie like it. And you will know why uh, hospitals and doctors and universities and people warn, do not watch Vax. Because what you see there, you will never unsee. And it truly is a transformative film. And if you want to see it, you can't see it on Amazon Prime where it used to be free because Representative Adam Schiff reached out to Jeff Bezos and said, essentially, I want you to burn books. I want you to take down any book or any film that questions the safety of vaccines. And so Adam Schiff believes in censorship and book burning. So we get censored on Facebook and YouTube and on Amazon, you can't find Vax any longer. Where you can find it, is simply go to vaxthemovie.com. Remember, vax is, is spelled with two X's, V-A-X-X-E-D, themovie.com, and that's where you can purchase vax and see it yourself. 
Oh, awesome. Thank you. You have done such amazing work. Now, I know we didn't talk too much about the pandemic, but that's okay. So the, the title of the show was Pandemic, True or Fiction? So that's right. Question. Well, I think we covered it, right? Is yes. it a pandemic? You have, I mean, is a cold a pandemic? I mean, that's yes. all you have to ask yourself. True or false? True. I mean, really, the word pandemic is very simple. It yes. simply means an infection or an illness that crosses state borders you could call that a pandemic or national borders well yes. every flu and every coronavirus essentially is a pandemic so is it a pandemic you can call it one but what we really mean is is it worthy of shutting down the world as we know it of destroying our careers and our lifestyles and our and our economies for something that is deadly for 0.26 percent of pharmaceutically dependent people, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think the 99.74% of us for whom this would only be a common cold, I think we gotta stand up now, we've gotta tear our masks off, we've gotta go back to work, and we've gotta save the future for our children that do not need to grow up like Howard Hughes, terrified to breathe the air, to drink the water, to touch a doorknob, None of that is necessary because nothing really has happened here. True. Except paranoia, maybe OCD and hypochondria. We can't let that be the rulers that run our lives. We truly are one with our planet. Yes. There is not a single virus or bacteria that has ever even come close to eradicating our species. Right. Has ever even come close to drawing down our numbers. We only grow every year and expand our population size. If bacteria and viruses were something to be feared, how has that been happening since the dawn of man, long before there was a vaccine? And you know, really, I know I need to run and I got places to be, yeah. but I really want people to be worried about this COVID-19 vaccine. So let me try to give you the simple facts very quickly. 99.74% of you don't need it. And what you don't need is a dangerous and deadly vaccine. And that's what this vaccine has the potential to be. And here's why. On the high wire, we investigated all of the trials of coronavirus vaccines up until this year. There was four major trials done by four major drug companies, all different, after SARS coronavirus. Uh, 20, you know, back in 2005, I guess, there was a thought that we could really use a coronavirus vaccine. So multiple companies attempted to create one. In every animal trial they conducted, something terrifying happened. They gave the vaccine to the animals. The animals in all of these cases were ferrets. They gave it to the ferrets. The ferrets appeared to be safe. They said the vaccine looks safe. They're not suffering any illness from getting the vaccination. Then they checked their blood and found that they had really good antibody production, which is what we're told causes, you know, is creates the immunity. And so they said, yay, they all jumped up and down in their laboratories and said the vaccine's looking really good. But then what happened is something that can only be done in animal trials. It's unethical to do this in human trials. And that's to actually put the virus, put the animal in contact with the virus. We never do this in animal trials to test, is it effective? And what happened in every single one of these trials Instead of the antibodies protecting the animal and keeping the virus from getting into the animal and making them sick, the opposite happened. Their antibodies 
worse with the virus to send them into massive upper respiratory conditions, organ failure, something called a cytokine storm where their immune system went haywire with the potential of killing animals, killing and, you know, would kill people. And in fact, at the end of the trials, many of them had a warning and said, we should be very careful about moving forward with a human trial on this vaccine. Now think about what's happening today. We are all being told they're rushing this yes. vaccine. They're rushing the science. The most dangerous thing that any scientist could do is to rush science. They're skipping the animal trial. Now what happens if we get a vaccine that is rushed in warp speed into us this autumn or this winter or this fall, we're told this is the only way we get our lives back. So we all line up because by God, we got to get back to our job. We got to get back to our children. And Bill Gates gets his Yeah, I was thinking Bill Gates, yes. Billion people get this vaccine. Then imagine that we go down the road and maybe next year, maybe it's two years from now, something happens. The coronavirus comes back. Maybe it's a new mutation, like it's every virus mutates. In fact, this one has already mutated 30 times, 30 okay. different mutations. And now all of a sudden people that were vaccinated, because we've all been vaccinated, when they come in contact with it, the same thing happens to us that happened to the ferrets. Instead of our bodies after the vaccination rejecting the virus, it makes us sick and it starts killing people. But it's not killing people at the 3.5% we were worried about that never happened. Right. It's killing people at 10% or 20% or 50%. You see, nature has never presented a virus that could wipe out the species. But a mistake on this vaccine could cause a future problem that gets every human being killed by what would have been a common cold, but is now not only deadly for the pharmaceutically dependent, it's deadly for everyone that got the vaccine. This is a potential. It is a known potential spoken about by many top scientists because of what they saw in the animal trials. Mm -hmm. We should not allow them to rush this vaccine. And we should never, ever allow any vaccine to be forcibly injected into us. We should celebrate that group of people that avoid the vaccine because if we ever make a mistake like this in the future, we may need them. We may need their blood that never got vaccinated to figure out how to create a cure to get a vaccine out of us. Because right now, once it's in you, you can never get it out. And if it's a mistake, we are all in serious trouble. That is my word of warning. Wake up. Yes. And fight any forced vaccination law that is coming to your state. Do not allow them to take away your exemptions. You are the only one. This is your temple. Yes. And your children are under your guidance until they are 18 years old. Yes. Do not let the government turn you into cattle. Yes. That is what a forced vaccination program means. You are simply property of the U.S. government and they can inject you with whatever they want, whenever they want, however they want. Please, no matter what you think about drugs or vaccines, join me in keeping us from becoming property of the U.S. government. We are God-filled spiritual beings that are one with each other and in control of our own destiny. That's where we're at today. Don't let them take away that for you tomorrow. Yes. Thank you very much for your time.
Thank you. Thank you so much, Dell. Love you. And I'll see you again on Thursday. <laughs> All right. We'll see you right. I hope you yes. enjoyed that show with Dell Big Tree. He is an expert on vaccines. He has been studying and researching vaccines for over four years, and he did share quite a bit of information about vaccines. I encourage anyone who has not seen the documentary Vax to go to the website. I will have the link below so you can check that documentary out. Um, he um, also, the title of the show was Pandemic, Truth or Fiction? And he did answer that question for us. Yes, it is true. It's a true pandemic for a cold. So um, that is basically why we have been in lockdown for a cold. But all is good, no, no worries. Um, I also like to invite everyone to, as I mentioned on the show, I did um, put together a We the People petition to ask President Trump to hold a press conference to clear up the confusion, the misinformation surrounding COVID-19. The, there's a lot of misinformation that has been spread by the news. Um, Donald Trump himself always talks about fake news. So um, it'd be great if we get 100,000 signatures on this petition asking President Trump to please hold a press conference and give us the facts about COVID-19. So there'll be a link to that petition below if you're interested in signing that petition. And I also invite you to go to my website and sign up for a free mentoring session. I have been doing mentoring sessions now for the past few months. Um, and you can go to my website, which is awake2onenessradio.org and send me an email. Let me know if you're interested in a free mentoring session. Also, I'm hosting monthly Zoom meeting, group meetings, and it, the next one will be next Thursday, June 25th at 8 p.m. Eastern time. So if you're interested in joining us in a group, group discussion next Thursday, just email me and I will send you the link to that Zoom meeting. Also on my website, you could find a list of free online holistic events. I am completely holistic. I'm not one of these people like he was talking about that depend on pharmaceutical. I've never taken a pharmaceutical drug in my life and don't ever intend to. I am completely holistic and I host on my website, there's about 10 free online events that are sponsored by the Shift Network, and you can check them out on my website. Um, also, Awake to Oneness Radio is completely nonprofit. Everything I do is for free. So if you are inspired by the show and would like to help support the show, um, there is a donation button. You can pledge a dollar to $5 a month to help support the show. It's greatly appreciated. Thank you all for watching. Love you all. Namaste. Have a great night. <laughs>